Hello and welcome to episode six of the Only Foals and Racehorses podcast. In this episode, I go into more depth about my time at Kildangan and how I got on and the horses and people that I met there. I hope you guys have all liked and subscribed to my various socials so that you never miss out an episode. And let's go now. So I hope you listened last week and you got a feeling for um, how I got into Kildangan and what it was like from the start. This week I'm going to discuss more detail about actually what I did there. It was a very, very good experience. Um, I really did like how they did the innings. So I'll start off where we started. So I started on Tobertig. That's where the A-class yearlings were kept. So... We were really lucky that um, just by chance I happened to be there the year that the only crop of Dubai Millennium were being broken in. And Dubai Millennium was Sheikh Mohammed's favourite horse. Um, He'd won the Dubai World Cup. He'd covered one crop of, well, he was in the middle of covering his first crop when he sadly died of grass sickness, which led to Sheikh Mohammed then putting a lot of money into the research into grass sickness um, which has benefited all horses not just thoroughbreds so what he did when the horse died was he went about and he literally bought up every single mare or the foal of every single mare that had been covered by Dubai Millennium um, because he wanted to make sure that he got the best one so on Tobertig was the best of the best so not just the Dubai Millenniums but anything else that was considered a great A-grade cult and there were many many different uh, sires there we were in the days of you know Danzig and Green Desert there was also some of the Coolmore Stallions I think it was just at the end or the beginning of the Cold War so there was we did have a few Coolmore horses there so that was interesting the Coolmore side yearlings I should say I spent the first two weeks mucking out, um, which was interesting (laughs) or not. It was very different to any sort of mucking out I've ever done before in that when it was muck out day, they they would bring in like round bales and open them up and roll them along and you'd shove that bit of straw into your bed when you'd done your actual mucking out, which like it was a very efficient way to do things, but you're not here for that. So when the yearlings started, they were sort of semi-feral. I don't think they did that much with them before we got there. First couple of weeks, they just spent getting them used to being um, handled, uh, taught them about going on a walker, started to lunge them, got them used to wearing boots and things like that. And I was involved in a lot of that. Something which I found quite interesting was we had someone always watching the horse walker, which was something I'd never even thought of before. But as I went on, I learned that that was the job for the person with a hangover. I never got that job because I was a good girl. So the level of horses were pure quality. They ended up being horses like Descartes, Goldstance, Echo of Light, who became a stallion, who sadly died early. And of course, we had the mighty Dubawi, who is now one of the best stallions, if not the best stallion in the world. He certainly commands the highest of fee now since Galileo's gone. Just to work with these horses was was amazing. They really were a different sort of horse to the horses that I dealt with at, at university. So like I said, I'd, I'd spent two months, two weeks backing out and then um, finally they decided they'd let me loose on one of the uh, tamer horses. I don't know why. Because it wasn't like I'd ever shown any fear of anything. But um, there was uh, Jim Bean led the yard. He was really nice, but I didn't have an awful lot to do with him. I seemed to keep, uh, keep getting lumped with Mary. And Mary was scary Mary. 
we were all frightened of her and she had a fearsome reputation um so i was selected to go in on this morning and i was given blue note a giant's causeway colt who was the biggest fattest lump known to man as you may gather I, I do really like my pedigrees and I remember so many of the horses um I'm really interested in like the families so Blue Note herself is a is a blue hen mare she's bred a lot of nice horses so yeah and they're all pretty much ginger I think anyway so we had the Giants Causeway colt out of her uh big lumpy thing and uh, I took him into the lunch pen the pens there were square which I found a bit bizarre and not really conducive for breaking in horses because anyone who has tried to introduce a horse to a lunge for the first time will know that it's yeah it's hard when you've got corners because they'll run to the corner. Um, I can't remember whether the horse had been lunged before. I don't think he had, but she she went in with me and she had the whip, and I was on the lunge and I started to get him going and he just did not want to go. Now, normally, when there's two of you in there, and how I would do it is if the horse wasn't very forward going and you'd have one person on lunge and the other person on the long tom and you'd just be encouraging the horse to go forwards as as he should. But she literally sat in the corner for the 10 minutes and watched me struggle, get hot. The horse was just not interested, wasn't learning much. And I came out there feeling like a failure, to be brutally honest. That was that. The next week I got transferred to a different yard. So I wasn't quite sure what was going on there. I did get the feeling that maybe she didn't like me because I was English, um, which I'll come on to later because that happens quite a lot or did happen quite a lot while I was out there. But yeah, it's a shame because I was really keen, but it wasn't to be. And and that is the reality. You know, I, I'm doing this to show people the ups and the downs. And, and it's really nice, you know, when it's all going right. But for whatever reason, I got moved. And that was fine. But the next yard they put me on was Harristown. And I think I, sp- I spent a good long time up there, probably about a month in the end. Harristown was where they had the mares and foals. I'd never done anything with mares and foals before. I wasn't particularly interested in them wasn't what I really wanted to do at that time but the foals were obviously getting a bit older at this stage so they were the later foals that hadn't been weaned yet and the foal farrow was quite interesting we did uh, that's that happens every four weeks with thoroughbred foals um if you're somewhere decent that is and uh, the, I saw foals having lateral extensions put on to correct their foot shape and how, the way their legs are you can correct a very very bent leg with proper correct farrowry right from an early age so it was that was interesting and I I made the best out of it as you can because you know sure what else was I going to do so I learned I learned a lot about mares and foals and then we were getting on with the weaning and that was something I hadn't really experienced before and again I love the way they did the weaning there so the mares all lived out in big herds and what they'd do was on a weaning day, they'd go out and they'd have the ones that they'd selected for weaning that day. And they would just go in the field, we'd feed the foals. So the foals were all distracted. And by this stage, they weren't really with their mums anyway, because they were getting quite old. And they would all trundle off to have their food. And you catch the mums, the mums would walk out of the field, loaded onto a horse box, driven away. So the mums didn't hear the foals crying and the foals didn't hear the mums calling. But to be fair, no one actually called. So we'd do this and then like we'd all stand there guarding the gate because you might get the odd one that kamikaze itself at the gate. 
but as a rule, no, nothing. They did nothing. They were just really calm and they didn't really lose weight because we used to weigh them every week. And it was really interesting to see it done well. And it's something that I would, you know, people go on about gradual weaning and this, that and the other. But I, I think that can be, if done wrong, really, really quite stressful. And in this way, you know, the foals were five, six, some of them were seven months old because they'd had problems. You know, this was right because the foals were pretty much weaned themselves by this stage. And they were just going back to mum if they had had a fight and they were sad. So I felt that it was actually the right thing to do. It also was quite an interesting year with those foals because they had had this experiment where they'd been basically, um, the Sheikh wanted the UAE um, prefix on the horses. So every horse, um, racehorse has like, um, my horse is called Cuckoo Storm and her prefix is IRE because she was born in Ireland. So he wanted them to have the UAE because they're, you know, Emirates horses and this, that and the other. So he got a couple of stallions out there and um, he sent out his best broodmares to fold down there. The only problem being that there's not really that much grass in Dubai. And I think they, they did have special paddocks and this, that and the other. But the problem was, was when the foals came back to Ireland that they didn't cope very well with the change in climate and a lot of them got really sick and suffered from pneumonia they also they'd have to clip them while they're out there because they they're woolly fold coats so they come over to Ireland clipped out and then just be cold and then get pneumonia so um, I think that was the last year they'd done it that year that I was there and they decided after that they weren't going to do it again because it just caused too many problems with the foals but again, interesting to see the reasoning behind why someone would do something. But and at least in the end, they did admit that it wasn't for the benefit of the foals. So they they stopped doing it. So I, it wasn't a wasted time with the mares and foals. But in the end, I think I probably made a few sort of noises about, you know, I'm here to break the horses in and ride the horses. and I'm interested in rehab and I'm not really doing any of that. So then they moved me to main yard. Main yard was for the sick, lame and lazy in a way. There was a, a variety of horses there. They got spellers in and then they got some of the backward yearlings. So I did, I was breaking in. So I managed to get further than lunging in a square pen uh, because on main yard we didn't have square pens. We had the indoor school, which was lovely. And what I really liked about Kildangan is um, once you get past the lunging bit, they did a lot of long reining and Anyone that's a rider will appreciate that when you get on any horse for the first time, a horse that's been long reined correctly is just a pleasure to ride because they steer, they stop and they also understand your legs because if you use your lines correctly, they understand that leg pressure, the line pressure means go. We had a couple of the more backward yearlings that just took a bit longer or horses, horses that were been out through injury and we were rehabbing or horses that come in that were being castrated and stuff like that. So we just long range everything. I think I must have done miles. And you'd go out in little strings, which was really nice. So you'd be walking around the stud and then you'd meet other strings of other yearlings and whatnot being long range. And it was really good education for them. And because the whole place was like a maze of roads, there was there was always somewhere to go. And it was really, really good. I thought they had the right idea when it came around to breaking in the horses. 
So when it came around to backing them, um, they had a group of Portuguese lads that did all of that. We didn't do it for whatever reason. Even the Irish lads didn't really get on them the first time. But these Portuguese lads were very, very good. They were amazing, really. And then when you got on the horses afterwards, the, the horses were fine, which is nice. Um, Kildangan does have its own track, which was very underused. We used it more for the older horses than, than the earlings. But um, I got a couple of spins around there, which was really nice. I mostly rode the hack, though. Um, but we had two hacks. Oh, their names escaped me. Um, we had a nice... Oh, Des, Des was one. Des was Jimmy Highland's hunter, and Des was addicted to Butte. I remember him for that. He would. He doesn't really lame, but he would sort of... If he wasn't on it, he would get very grumpy, and he just wanted to be on Butte. And when he was on Butte, it was fine. Just a sachet every couple of days. He was grand. He was a good ride, a nice big Irish horse, a bit like a big version of Murphy. Um, so I liked him. And then we had another horse, a coloured, and I'm sure he was called Pinto or something like that. And he was actually an American paint horse that had been gifted to the boss by John Gosden. And he'd come from America. And um, he was a really classy horse. He was so nice. Um, and he was lovely to ride. So I enjoyed riding him round the round canter. I'd have a horse called New Forest with me and also Paula would sometimes be on Purple Tiger. Um, Purple Tiger actually ended up becoming a broodmare. She was quite a decent race mare and she is still a broodmare there today. So it's really nice when I move horses that uh, are her foals around and you see her name and their pedigree and you think, oh, there she is. She's still there. Bless her. New Forest went on. He went to the sales. I can't remember what happened with him in the end. So, yeah, so I really enjoyed my time on on um, Mainyard. Mainyard was overseen by a chap called Willie McCreary, who is now racehorse trainer. Um, Willie did not miss a thing. So when we were dressing the horses over in the evening, so you work them in the morning, do your normal jobs, and then in the evening, uh, well, the afternoon, you come back after lunch and we get everything in and then brush them over. He would go around and just check legs and, you know, see if anything needed anything and whatnot. And um, he would know without going in a box whether you'd oiled something's feet and look and looked at it. He just knew. He'd stand outside, go, have you done that? And you'd go, ooh, yeah. And no, you hadn't. And um, yeah, he was he was a great boss. He he really knew his stuff and he explained a lot of things that they were doing and why they did it. And yeah, he was, when he left, he left while I was there and he was a real loss to them but they still support him now and he's a trainer the other good person at the yard was Paula I don't know where she ended up in the end she was nice um, she was very good at explaining why they did what they did and she'd been there quite some time and the other lad that I worked with on um, main yard was Jimmy Heavey whose uh, family were very heavily involved in racing and he did get a bit of a free ride one of his little favourite occupations was in the afternoon when Paula was busy doing treatments and making up feeds and I was grooming is that he'd sit in the toilet reading Racing Post and that would be him for about half an hour. So, um, but he made it up for it because he was a nice lad and he had a lot to say and, and I didn't, yeah, it was annoying, but we always got the work done, so it was okay. Coming back to that, in the last episode, I spoke about the fountain on Main Yard. So, so the fountain used to, it would be on all day and the horses all got used to it. It was fine. Um, but what would happen is the fountain used to come on, and I'm sure it used to come about something like five o'clock in the morning, but it would wake us up because we lived in Longflat, which overlooked Main Yard. Yeah, basically, you'd, 
it, the fountain would wake you up every morning, which was really annoying. But it was, yeah, just one of those random things. Um, another one of my charges that I really liked on um, Main Yard or, well, I don't know, like maybe probably is a strong word, um, probably just she stuck out was a Dubai Millennium filly, a big liver chestnut filly, a uh, yearling filly that uh, ended up going, well, I thought she was going to America, but apparently she came over to John Gosden and she was out of a mare called Anna Palariva and that family, there's um, so many of them, Anna of Saxony, Anna Palareva was a very, very good mare who was a dam of many good horses. Um, and one of her children, aside from the Dubai Millennium, one that I dealt with was um, a mare called Anna Salai. And Anna Salai is the dam of the 2021 Derby winner, Adea. So it's really nice that sort of over the years I've sort of got to, I've grown up with the families. But uh, Anna Palareva, um, she she ran once... And that was that. But yeah, she um, she never ended up being <laughs> decent herself, This the Dubai name that we had. But there was quite a few of them and they were big lumpy things. If they weren't right, they were just big, lumpy, not very attractive. So just proves, you know, they don't all come out good. So it wasn't all just work, work, work. Um, we had plenty of fun while we were there. There was obviously a number of characters. The main two of the lads, aside from the girls obviously in Long Flat that I hung out with, and Lynn and Cheryl, who became my close friends. We had a chap called Harry, who was Scanner's brother, and he took it upon himself to um, look after us girls. Um, and he wasn't like he was a perv or anything, but he was always there. And um, he had a DJing little sideline outside of working and... It was really random, like it was like a only an island experience where we'd go off at weekends when we weren't working and Harry would be like, Oh, do you wanna come and come to this party? And I don't think I've ever been to so many like twenty first communions, like people's like engagement parties, like 'cause he just took us and and we didn't know these people, but they just all accepted us and we went to this went to these parties and, and, and that was that. It was such a bizarre thing. Um, and then the other chap that stuck out to me that I do want to say something about is Philip. And Philip was an amazing horseman, but he was a bit of a tortured soul. And um, he was always getting himself into scrapes. And I remember going places at weekends with him and we'd gone out going to Monastrevin. And like, one day we walked back from Monastrevin, which is quite a long way. I don't even know why we did that. Like we just didn't have money for a taxi or something. But he did like a drink a bit and he had the potential to be a really good stallion man from what the other said but I heard after we left he went a bit off the rails and end up one of his many accidents was to drive through the gates the electric gates at um, Kildangan without waiting for them to open and I think they asked him to leave after that which is such a shame but there were through you know the course of my career there's been many poor souls that you know have had addiction problems or whatever and and he was like the first one that really stuck out, I suppose. Can't really leave this bit without talking about what it's like to live in Ireland. So where we were, uh, we were between Kildare and a place called Monastrevin. I remember going to uh, Lynn's Horse. Um, I drove over there a couple of times when we were like just hanging out the weekends and stuff. And to drive there, you drive through a place called Port Leash. 
I always got this uneasy feeling when I was driving around that sort of particular area because as I sort of drive along, like the old guys outside the pub would like turn and stare at my car and I never really thought about it too much. But then someone did point out that, well, sure, they would. You're driving around the car with English plates on. And I suppose like, I never really thought about it. And given that I, I grew up you know, during the Troubles and I knew people that had been bombed, you know, um, in the UK, I just, you know, you just don't really think about it until you're there. And, and it is all still quite sort of raw. And also um, that whole area is known to be quite a strong sort of RA area. And even while we were there, um, there was a... Um, a load of prisoners, IRA prisoners, were escaped out of a van when they're being moved between prisons um, in Monastreven. And it was on the news in the UK. And my mum phoned me up and she goes, oh, there's a load. Are you all right? You're all right. There's a load of loose IRA guys. And I was like, just on the stud. Like, we don't know. But yeah, it's quite funny. And well, it's not funny, but it's just, you know, you have to sort of really respect the, you know, the culture of the place you're in. And and, you know, be aware of things like that because you could get yourself in a bit of trouble if you didn't. And in general, most people there were very, very welcoming. I never had any trouble myself like that. So, uh, but yeah, it was yeah, one of the one of the delights. And that sums up my time at Kildangan. So I, I really enjoyed the way they broke the horses in. I found it very interesting how they dealt with the foals. Overall, I, it was a very, very good experience. And I, I met some friends for life. So, yeah, it was it was great. I'm so glad I went and, and got that opportunity. And it certainly opened my eyes. But I stayed there for three months. And then I decided that it was time to na- take the next step. Obviously, at that point, we'd sort of broken most of the yearlings in and that was fine. And then it was getting to the time where the rules were that you spent three months in long flat and then they moved you into houses afterwards. So that was your reward. If you could stick it out for three months in long flat, you'd get to move into a nice house. And I had thought, oh, you know, maybe I would do, but I'd only really be there for another month. And did I want to move? And then Scary Mary her of the Tobatike Blue Note incident. She started to say things. So she saw me in the in the, the, the our canteen one day and she said, Oh yeah, I can't wait for them to move out of Long Flat. I'm gonna make sure that they move you with me. And that was a veiled threat because the people that live with her, they didn't particularly enjoy it. And down to things like, you know, her, she had a cat that wasn't well health trained and she was like, oh, I'm gonna make sure that my cat shits on your bed. And I was just like, Do you know what? life's too short for this so I went into the main office I didn't complain about Mary because I just didn't see the point but I said to them was there any point of getting a transfer back to England I also needed to sort out a few things for the next step so it kind of made sense and the sales were coming up so they said no that's absolutely fine we're just starting sales prep for the December sales with the mayors so would you like to go over to Newmarket to our base at Dallam Hall and would you like to live there and I said yeah and that was that. So then we prepared for the next move. And we'll, we'll bring that up in next week's episode. So guys, I hope you really enjoyed that episode. I think it's really nice to share like the ups and downs and the reality of like what studs are like. And, and Kildangan was a very good place to work. I have to say they looked after us very, very well. So yeah, so if you like this, please make sure you screenshot it and share it amongst your friends. Just like, 
I really, really would love to hear like some feedback if someone, you know, just wants to put in their stories or whatever. That would be absolutely amazing because I really am enjoying this. Um, I keep like wanting to share more and more and then I have to remember like you don't want to hear me talking forever. So, yeah, any feedback would be absolutely great and much appreciated. And please pass the pod and I'll see you next week. Bye bye.